Hi there. Welcome once again to the ISMG studio. I'm Rahul Neelmani, Vice President, Community Engagement and Editorial. It's an honor to have with us Dr. Raj Ayer, CIO of the United States Army. In the first episode, we heard Dr. Ayer speaking about his vision, Digital Army 2030, and how platforms like cloud, artificial intelligence, and other cognitive technologies are helping commanders and soldiers of the US Army take very informed decisions. In the second part of this exclusive conversation with ISMG, uh, Dr. Ayer will focus on US Army's preparedness for cybersecurity and cyber warfare. Once again, welcome Dr. Ayer. It's an honor to have you with us. Uh, I would like to now talk about the roadmap for cybersecurity in the wake of new warfare te techniques where uh, nation state actors and organized cybercrime syndicates are constantly in hunt uh, for finding vulnerabilities to steal data uh, of st uh, strategic importance. Um, now, what's the plan uh, to give a robust cybersecurity posture to the to the U.S. Army uh, uh, information infrastructure? Yeah, great question. So one of the ways you know we are going to fight in future is what's called through multi-domain operations. And so multi-domain operations means we're actually integrating data um, and functions, you know, between land, air, sea, space, and cyberspace. And those are the five domains that we're gonna, you know, that we're in the process of integrating uh, through a concept called uh, joint all-domain command and control. So what this means now is that uh, the cyber domain is absolutely a key warfighting domain. Um, and we know that you know going up against um, you know a tech savvy adversary like China means that we have to be able to not just um, be able to conduct offensive cyber operations, but also be ready to be you know with a defensive posture um, that enables us um, to be resilient um, and to be operationally effective. And um, and for that. You know, obviously, that means that we need to be ready to be contested in cyberspace through things like electronic warfare, information warfare, jamming, um, and so on and so forth. And, and and we know that these are capabilities that you know China um, is sophisticated with, and and so uh, huge emphasis um, in terms of protecting um, um, our infrastructure. Um, and by the way, given that, as I just noted, that, you know, moving forward, you know, we do plan on making, uh, you know, the cloud will be, you know, part of a warfighting uh, platform. It means that from a cybersecurity perspective, it's no longer just protecting, you know, the army networks and army systems and data. It's really a, a collective effort, um, you know, that includes the private sector as well. And so this includes us working closely with cloud service providers like you know Amazon and Google and um, and and Microsoft and others and uh, and acknowledging the fact that you know there's a shared responsibility from a cybersecurity perspective to make sure that uh, that their um, hyperscale architectures uh, for cloud computing um, are able to withstand any kind of adversarial um, impacts and uh, and so this is a, a growing partnership uh, between the United States Army and uh, industry to make sure that we are, um, you know, that we have the right agreements in place, the, you know, in, in order to share threat intelligence um, and cyber vulnerabilities 
um, between our two organizations. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, to us, it's very clear that the cloud is inherently much more secure than any on-premise uh, data center that we currently have, but requires us to make sure that we build in um, what's called zero trust principles into that cybersecurity architecture. So for the last year or so, we have been on, a, on an active plan um, to get to zero trust. Um, and that means that you know, um, uh, essentially the zero trust principle says that, you know, assume um, that, you know, um, at, at any given time um, that we are, we are at risk um, of, of, any, uh, of a cyber attack and, uh, and we are vulnerable. And then we got to make sure that we don't trust anybody to come to our networks. It's, you know, it's limiting access to data. Um, and, um, and, and, and that's the journey we've been on. So the good news is that this is uh, an all of nation effort um, between us and the, in the United States Army, as well as you know, the private sector and industry, because the general recognition is that you know, our adversaries are not you know, specifically targeting the military. They're going also after civilian infrastructure. And when that's the case, you know, this truly becomes an all of nation effort. But uh, every one of the initiatives that we have ongoing um, really, you know, tries to bake in uh, zero trust cybersecurity into the architecture and not as a bolt-on. Uh, I would also like to know if you are uh, if you are working with the specialist uh, security uh, vendors uh, to strengthen the posture. Oh, absolutely. So uh, you know, so we're doing that as well. But then you know, we also have within the army our own uh, an entire command dedicating to uh, cyber. So the army cyber command, um, you know, has been established now for over ten years and has matured to the point where um, we are able to conduct um, both offensive and defensive um, cyber operations. Um, obviously you know, with the tight integration that we have with the intelligence community, we're getting a lot of threat intelligence uh, in cyberspace coming to us, um, you know, far ahead of, you know, any such data going to, um, you know, other private sector vendors. And uh, our ability to hunt forward, um, you know, has, has, been, has been well recognized. And this is, again, open, open news that, you know, in the start of the operations uh, in Ukraine, um, you know, the United States Cyber Command was actively engaged in, um, you know, forward um, uh, hunting um, some of the adversaries, um, uh, adversarial capabilities, uh, which truly did at the end of the day, um, have an impact, um, um, you know, on, on everybody, um, because we never saw the kinds of um, uh, cyber attacks that we thought we might um, after the start of the uh, the war in Ukraine. So, so we have some, some tremendous um, capabilities that we've established uh, in the Army and the Department of Defense and in the cyber domain. Um, obviously, a lot of it is highly classified, um, but we're proud of uh, what we've been able to, able to accomplish. And, uh, you know, the most recent current operations in support of Ukraine uh, is giving us uh, a lot of great lessons learned about what is working and what's not working. And we're using that continuously to uh, to update um, our um, our standard operating procedures, our policies, our procedures, and and tools, and so on. 
Great. Uh, Dr. Iyer, uh, you know, one more point in the, in, the, in the security domain that I wanted to highlight and get your uh, response for is, uh, you know, since the U.S. Army is planning such a mammoth uh, cloud infrastructure involving a lot of third parties, uh, you know, the point that I want to discuss right uh, at this stage is about the uh, software supply chain management security. Uh, that's something which is uh, which has come to light in the past three four years, and we have had uh, massive uh, breaches. Uh, you know, when it comes to software supply chain. So, how are you planning to safeguard the uh, the infrastructure uh, from such attacks? Yeah, so that is that is uh, one of the you know most complex issues or challenges which we struggle with right now, and um, and so you know I mean I'll be the first to admit that you know I don't believe you know anybody has a real solution for this, uh, and and so if, especially if you are integrating a lot of open source and we're not able to validate you know. Um, um, you know, some of the security signatures on, on open source software and the software provenance, um, that becomes a challenge. Now, from a policy perspective, some of the things that we've done is, um, you know, the, um, um, the um, you know, the, 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 we, we have policies in place to start um, requiring uh, software vendors to provide uh, what's called software bills of materials. And so, so that is now law um, under the executive office of the president um, as, as, a, as an executive order to all federal agencies requiring um, that we use uh, software bills of materials so we can at least see what's, you know, uh, embedded uh, within software. But, you know, validating provenance uh, and, and, and so on and so forth is always a challenge. And, and so uh, this is again where this requires um, much tighter collaboration with industry um, because for the software that we write within the army, I think we are in a much better situation because we have accredited tools. Uh, we have a fully accredited DevSecOps platform um, in the cloud that we use to build our own applications. Um, and it takes it, you know, takes the uh, cybersecurity, you know, uh, testing, uh, is all you know fully integrated and built into that, and and I think we have some good ideas to you know what the security posture is of you know software that we write, but when it's commercial software and especially when it's open source, I think we have challenges um, that we need to continue to assess. Uh, that doesn't mean that we're going to go away from open source, but it all comes down to you know having good you know risk management processes in place to be able to assess the risk and put mitigations in place. Um, but then if you follow the, you know, the zero trust principles that I talked about and assume that, you know, at any given time, you know, you have been compromised um, and it doesn't matter how you've been compromised because, again, our adversaries are getting more and more sophisticated with uh, new attack vectors like, you know, inserting themselves in the, into the supply, software supply chain. Um, you know, it's, it all comes down to how quickly we're able to find, um, you know, spurious or anomalous behaviors. Um, in our systems and our networks, how quickly we're able to isolate them and how quickly we're able to recover, um, you know, um, is, is, is the strategy that uh, we are pursuing. You very briefly mentioned about the skills and, uh, you know, unfortunately not all skills are available in-house. There's a shortage of skills uh, across uh, departments and organizations with no exceptions. So, 
how do you plan uh, to bridge that gap uh, and what's the roadmap prepared by the CIO's office to address the skill and talent issues, both in cybersecurity and in information technology? Yeah. So I think that's not a challenge that I face, uh, you know, uh, alone, but it's one that's widely recognized um, across the federal government. Uh, and quite frankly, you know, I talk to my peers uh, in the private industry as well, um, and everybody's struggling to find good, you know, good technical talent um, to be able to meet their requirements. And there's always going to be a gap between demand and supply. Um, I think what we're doing in the Army really is, you know, we have started uh, a very concerted effort to, um, one, you know, try and find, um, you know, non-traditional ways to recruit uh, into the Army. So this is, you know, th through things like, um, you know, direct commissioning for office, uh, commissioning for officers. Um, so, you know, if you're in the private sector and you want to wear the uniform, you know, we have a process in which we can bring you in and, and commission you as an officer directly. Um, you know, we're obviously targeting, um, uh, private sector, um, to bring in the best, uh, civilians, um, and, and we have authorities that Congress has given us to be able to, uh, be flexible when it comes to pay. Obviously, we will never be able to meet, match, you know, compensation that's provided by private industry, but um, there are flexibilities in place to be able to do that. Uh, we actually this year um, um, announced and we have gone live with a new talent management system for cyber professionals. So again, you know, it turned out that the civilian, um, the, the civilian talent uh, management structure that we had um, just had not been updated in decades. Um, and so we needed something that was very specific to the, the cyber professionals. So the cyber accepted service, um, um, you know, has, is now live and, and we plan on expanding that across the army. So again, that'll give, um, greater opportunities for things like retention bonuses, uh, opportunities for career advancement and development, um, that, you know, that is not, uh, I mean, is much more rigid in the general, schedule um, uh, civilian pay scale. Um, and then, you know, it's about uh, providing all kinds of opportunities for training certifications and, uh, and growth within the army so we can continue to upskill our existing workforce. Um, and we are fully acknowledged that will not happen across the board. I mean, if you look at uh, our demographics, um, you know, clearly we have, you know, a portion of our, um, of our employee base um, that, you know, are not at a point where they are capable of picking up, you know, newer skills, but we're trying to at least, you know, get them to be tech savvy enough to be able to understand and talk about what cloud is and what AI is and how machine learning works and, and so on. And, uh, and so combination of, you know, tech savvy training to, you know, hands-on software development um, are all things, you know, that are in the works. I mean, we've actually, um, you know, for the last two years, uh, we started as a pilot, um, um, the army software factory, uh, in Austin, where we're actually training, uh, soldiers, uh, to code and to develop software. And, uh, we are in the second year of that, uh, program where we're, you know, we're finding and identifying, um, you know, expertise, people that have the capability to code and to develop software. Uh, but again, this will not be at scale. This will always be a niche within the army. Um, but if we build enough capacity and momentum, then between now and the army of 2030, 
um, we feel like we would have accomplished uh, critical mass in, in this area. Uh, you know, before we let you go, just create an overall organizational resilience uh, picture for us uh, with the help of new technologies. Yeah, so key technology, I mean, technologies are a key enabler, but to me, you know, as I noted earlier, you know, there are two things, there, there's two things that really make the difference uh, for us in the United States Army of, you know, what makes the difference between, win, you know, winning a war and not winning one. Um, and, and in every case, in every, every, every situation, you know, where we've triumphed, um, it's, been, it's been two things. One is, you know, our soldiers um, who are the best in the world. Um, and at the end of the day, we'll take any technology, whether it's low technology or high technology, and then um, they will find uh, awesome ways to put that um, to work on, on the battlefield. And we've proven that over and over again. Um, it, you know, and, and partly, uh, and, and, and secondly, is the fact that, you know, when we go to fight, we always go to fight with our allies and our coalition partners. And we never go alone. And that's because we know that uh, the force multiplication effect, the force multiplier that we get from our, our partnerships around the world are absolutely, absolutely critical. And so uh, what we're focused on in the army and my own organization is truly you know, build um, on both those legs while at the same time we focus on building technical capabilities and capacity. Um, and as I noted, you know, just the, just this year, starting February 24th, uh, we've seen some tremendous lessons learned and in both of these areas. For the first time, you know, the Army's 18th Airborne Corps, when they deployed to Europe in support of Ukraine, for the first time, we went out with uh, cloud infrastructure, cloud native applications, a data fabric uh, to enable the, uh, the three-star general on the ground to make decisions on the fly. And then we used, um, you know, uh, commercial networks, including, you know, SpaceX, Starlink, um, satellite communications to be able to communicate. And that's, again, three great commercial technologies that we've never used in the past. But for the first time, we actually brought that to the, you know, um, to operational use. And we're already seeing how well that's working for us. The ability for us to be able to share targeting information with our partners, the, the collaboration environment that we've stood up in Europe to communicate and collaborate with our NATO partners, the Ukrainians, uh, and how we're able to exchange information. All of that has been critical to success. And, um, and so for us, as we, even as we are engaged in those operations in Europe, for us truly, you know, uh, the eye on the ball is the Indo-Pacific, is the pacing challenge from China. And so what we're really focused on in terms of resiliency is building those partnerships um, in, in the Indo-Pacific. And by the way, that includes India as well. And I just wanted to make sure that I point that out um, because right now, as of yesterday, you know, the US Army and the Indian Army are together um, exercising uh, in the Himalayas as part of the UWS exercise. And that is, you know, we're in the 19th year uh, um, you know, since 20, you know, the year 2020 or so, the U.S. and the Indian armies have been working together and exercising, and that partnership continues to grow, not just, you know, at the battalion or brigade level, but at the senior most levels of the army where we're building that strategic partnership and relationship. Um, and we are open to sharing those lessons learned um, that we have, you know, that we have gathered in terms of how to bring these technologies to bear for warfighting. 
And the more we're able to share those lessons learned and we're able to create that coalition um, in South Asia and Southeast Asia, uh, that's gonna be the key um, factor that deters um, somebody like China um, you know, in the future. So, um, so I think it's, uh, we have um, tremendous potential uh, for us to build the coalition of the willing to deter aggression. Um, and uh, for me, it's been a proud moment to be the first CIO to actually show how technology can actually enable all of these things. But it's really truly a transformation effort and it just will not technology alone by itself uh, will, never able to, will never get us there. But a combination of building relationships and partnerships, um, you know, taking a look at the workforce aspects, uh, reforming, you know, our institutional processes, and uh, and how we truly start to change the nature of war fighting, um, all put together, um, is truly how we're going to be successful in the future. Indeed. Uh, that was Dr. Raj Ayer speaking exclusively with ISMG on U.S. Army's data and digital modernization roadmap and how U.S. Army is augmenting its uh, cybersecurity resilience to tackle the nuances of modern cyber warfare and preparing itself for 2030. Uh, thank you, Dr. Ayer. It was fascinating talking to you. Thank you. My pleasure.